Welcome to this episode of the podcast where we dive into Maria's birth stories. A first birth story that left Maria feeling broken and traumatized, followed by a healing and empowering experience of birth with her second. Maria talks about the importance of good support in healing from birth trauma as well as recognizing it as such in the first place. This episode is for anyone who has had a challenging first birth experience and maybe wants to hear that it is possible to birth with positivity in consecutive births. I hope that this episode gives you hope and encouragement to understand the things that can make a big impact on your laboring experience and to make sure that it is, it is indeed a positive and empowering one that leaves you feeling strong and capable as a woman and mother. Let's get started on this week's birth story with Maria. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Birthing in Finland podcast, brought to you by the Nest Doulas. I'm Danielle Bensky, a mother and postpartum doula specializing in maternal well-being and psychology. Each episode, you'll hear eye-opening interviews with some amazing people who support families in Finland just like yours. We'll help you navigate what it means to birth in Finland, growing your confidence on your parenting journey. Thank you for spending time with me today. Now let's jump into our daily dose of birthing in Finland. Hello and welcome to the Birthing in Finland podcast. Today we're going to do a birth story um, and the guest for today is Maria. So I'm excited to welcome you, Maria. Um, you are also, how do you say, a Nest family member. <laughs> Having had a, a doula with with the Nest, you had Rosalia as your doula. Um, yes, that's right. Which we're going to talk about more. But before we get into the story and the message you want to share today on the on the episode, could you just introduce yourself a little bit and how old the children are and when were these births and where you're from and what languages you speak and your relationship with Finland over the years. So let us know about that too. Yes, thank you, Daniela. I'm quite excited to be here. Um, I'm Maria. I'm 40 years old. I'm originally from Mexico, but I left Mexico when I was 24 years old. I spent most of my time studying in the UK. And this is where I met my Italian husband. Uh, we got married in 2018 and we were expecting our child in 2019. Uh, my husband found a job here in Finland. So we moved from the UK to Finland and we have been here since then. I have two little demons. One is now <laughs> three years old and the little one is a daughter. She's one year and a half. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> two little demons. I love yes. that. <laughs> yeah. So they're keeping you busy. Yes. They are. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, they are, they are fun, fun ages. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So let's start with where you want to start um do you want to tell first the story or do you want to say the message why don't we maybe start with the message of kind of what is the main thing you want to tell people today what with what yeah with what message are you coming on 
the episode today. I think I just wanted to share a bit how was my experience with two bears that were very, very different. Uh, I have a first ex- traumatic experience with my firstborn, and then I have a very empowering experience with this the birth of my second uh, child. And I think I, I wanted to kind of share this contrast and how even if the first experience was hard, like how somehow, even if it's not forgotten now, it, it helped me, the, the birth of my second daughter helped me to heal um, my first experience. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit also about trauma. Like I think something that I found um, like really interesting about my experience is that uh, my second birth was by far more painful than my first birth, but it wasn't traumatic mm. uh, because I wasn't suffering. And yeah, I think that's the difference also, between pain yeah, and suffering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Was the first one also in Finland then? Yes, yes. And in the first birth, you didn't have a doula? No, I did not. Yeah. So maybe let's start a little bit with what felt challenging or traumatic, as you as you say in your own words, for the first for the first experience. If you want to share a little bit more about that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think like. Um, I mean, I try to prepare as much as possible. Uh, when I find out that I was pregnant, I started to look like for uh, training and information. I quickly realized that there were not many resources in Finland in English. Uh, I, I mean, like that was back in 2019. Um, so then I, you know, I, I'm the type of person that needs training uh, before embarking anything new. <laughs> um, so I could not possibly go into labor without feeling prepared. So I embarked on my journey journey on self-learning. And I think I was quite lucky to find good resources across uh, this journey. I learned about, you know, the principles of physiologic birth, why it's important to keep interventions at a minimum, the cascade of intervention, pain management, breastfeeding, even co-sleeping. And I found really good sources like spinning babies uh, that I started to do the exercise quite early on, the positive birth company for hypnobirth, evidence-based birth, that I absolutely love that uh, podcast on on the website. Wow, so you really went into the rabbit hole. You found it. Yes. And you (laughs) dove very deep. Yes, yes, yes. By the end of my pregnancy, actually, I was a bit overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. With the amount of information. Um, so my pregnancy qu- went quite smoothly after having a, like, you know, like a thought, uh, thought a first trimester with the nausea and the, the emotional state. But after that, everything went like relative okay. But, um, well, and I was in general feeling quite positive about giving birth. I remember telling to my neighborhood nurse that I was very positive about the whole experience. And I told, I remember clearly telling her, well, if it, things don't go well or as expected, it, it will be only one day of my life. And I will forget later, like, oh boy, I little knew how even one day can change your entire life. Well, it's a very important day, nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But then at week 36, I started to feel some very intense itching during the nights, like everywhere, like inside my ears, in my nostrils. I started with my hands and soles of my feet, but then it was everywhere. And I remember that I read about this. I, re I read about itching being one of those symptoms that sh you shouldn't ignore. Mm -hmm. as might be an indicator of something more serious. Um, and I kind of checked my book again, my pregnancy book, and I yeah, remember it was this thing called cholestasis in pregnancy. So cholestasis is uh, this a slowing of your bile acid uh, that flows through your, through your um, uh, biliary system, and it can be a problem in your liver. Mm. And because this bile that cannot flow leaks into the bloodstream, uh, cause inflammation, and it can be like quite um, life-threatening for the baby. So there is like some uh, higher risk of premature birth and stillbirth. So it's quite of a serious, um, serious condition. And the official guidelines, and I don't know the ones in Finland, but what I was checking in in an in internet in the U.S. is that. Babies are usually recommended to uh, have um, early birth, like before weeks 39. So I called my nebula next morning, and I was tested almost immediately, and the results came negative. So my bilial acids were just normal, so I kind of just forget about the itching. Because it was not really constant every night, so I kind of forgot about yeah. uh, that. But then at week 38, it returned like really, really like furiously. <laughs> And mm. I was tested again, and there you go, like my bilial acids were way above the normal limits, which I learned that is quite common. I mean, the itching can precede a positive test by several weeks. Mm. Uh, but by the time that my results came in, I was already in my week 39, so um, uh, the novel and nurse say you need to call Nystein Clinica uh, for, an, for, you know, to assess your case, but most likely you are going to be induced. And I think in this point, I think like this is where a doula might have been helpful. Um, to help me in that moment, probably to try to prepare my body uh, for induction. There are a couple of things that you can try. Uh, there is a lot of information about inductions. I, I knew kind of about induction, but I mainly knew how to avoid an induction, you know, like the yeah. classic cases that don't let you induce if you are your just your past due date, no, but yeah. uh, but there is really not very much information in, okay, now I'm going to have an induction that is medically justified. How can I prepare my body to make the process air easier? Mm. And to be honest, at that part, of course, I was a bit scared with the cholestasis. I didn't have, you know, my mind to read anything else at that point or do anything else. Uh, my mom was arriving and I just, you know, uh, I really didn't do anything. So I went to Nystein Clinic and they basically confirmed the diagnosis, uh, checked the baby and they suggested to start with induction. Um, they used first the balloon. Mm -hmm. Uh, the doctor kind of struggled a lot to put the balloon in and mm. ultimately gave up. And mm. I think this was the first sign that my body was not really ready to give birth. Um, 
I know you know that is something that you know is called the bishop's score and that assess how ready is your body for vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. And I remember that I read about that, and in that moment I was like, you know, when 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 the balloon fell, and it was the first, you know, I got this like instinct, like maybe things, maybe I'm not ready. But then I didn't ask more. I didn't ask to to the doctor. Okay, so how is you know how is my service? How is the dilatation, the position, all these things? Uh, maybe I don't know. I will never know how my body you know like how what would have been my score like I don't know if I would maybe I was a better candidate for a cesarean birth at that point mm-hmm. um, but instead I was given oral cytotech or like yeah. I think that's the the that's the commercial name for misoprostrol yeah. as a, that's used for induction yes I didn't know back then, but it turns out that cytotech is one of the most effective induction treatments to achieve vaginal birth in the first 24 hours. And I guess that this is why it's very used in Finland. Uh, but It's cheaper. It's cheap, uh, <laughs> indeed. But it's Both very so. difficult to manage. <laughs> than, uh, yeah, than the Sorry? oxytocin. Cheaper than yes. the artificial oxytocin. Yes, yes, indeed. But it's very difficult to manage an appropriate dose. And uh, one of the most common side effects is uterine hyperstimulation. It's also a drug used to induce a miscarriage or like an abortion. Yes. Yes. So, (laughs) yes. There's a lot of interesting research on that. um, Yes. But it's maybe maybe not the best tool. Indeed, I think in the UK it's only allowed for like miscarriage and not for like because especially this uterine imperstimulation is like absolutely yeah. like on you know pe- people that already have a c-section cannot just cannot yeah. have um yeah. because yeah it can uh it, there's a higher risk of rupture yeah Okay. Anyway, you were given that. <laughs> yes. So I was given that. And, you know, I remember so many stories of my friends, oh, even here in your podcast, I don't remember uh, who was saying that, you know, that are, when you are not ready, you are going to, like, you have a start label. No, it's like you feel, you have kind of feeling that something is going on, but you are not sure, something like periods cramps but you are still not sure if it was a burrito that you have the last night <laughs> or it was no. or it's, it's actually labor yeah and oh boy my first contraction was just so so intense like an eight out of ten being wow. ten the most intense intense pain uh, yeah. i just felt like i was breaking from inside by that time, I was alone because my husband couldn't stay overnight. Um, and everyone assumed that I was not going to start start labor anytime soon, so I was alone. Um, so I called him immediately. And, but then the contraction started to increase in frequency and intensity so fast. By the time that my husband arrived, I was not like really able to manage them. Um, yeah. Actually, for him, uh, he said that one of the most difficult experience of the birth was actually finding me alone in that much pain. Um, I think, like, I think what I did have it was this um, 
uterine uh, hyperstimulation because I couldn't, I, at some point I was having social long contractions one on top of another. So I was not having any break in between. Yeah, that uh, definitely sounds like that description. Yes. So yeah. when I was offered yeah. an epidural at that point, I felt that was the only option that I had yeah. Yeah. to continue a life and sane. Yeah. And indeed, the epidural gave me the opportunity to rest and sleep a bit, uh, which was very much needed. And also like five hours later, I was already 10 centimeters. And, and, um, and at that point, I was still feeling quite positive. I think I was like, okay, it was a very hard uh, start, but now I'm like, fine. Uh, I took the right decision with the epidural. So now we can move on and have finally, you know, time to put some music on, to use the bare ball, uh, to do some dancing. I was again myself, you know, joking with people, like my mom arrived uh, to be present as well. Um, and the young midwife that I have, she was super nice, also very into spinning babies. Uh, so we were doing quite a couple of things. But at, as a time progressed, I started to feel uncomfortable because of the movement restrictions. Like I have the IV fluids connected to my hand. Yeah. And I was not able to move much for because of that. And then I developed again all this intense itching again, which apparently it is a side effect of the epidural. And I was mm, like, no, okay. come on, like no more itching. I don't need more itching. Um, yeah. And I think it's important. How distracting to, also. Super distracting. Like this was not the bird environment that you need. Um, yeah. with so much distractions um, also an important thing to mention is that by this time I was already in my third or fourth dose of the epidural uh, the effect of a single dose only lasts I think around four hours and as soon as it was fading I was going, given another boost mm-hmm. yeah. um, and I think like in retrospective uh I saw I was so afraid of how intense the pain was early on that I never stopped to consider whether it was a good idea to have another dose. I never stopped, you know, to consider maybe I can try a new different method now. Yeah. Or try to see how I am coping with that. Um and That's I think a really it's, interesting point, like that once you take the epidural you can maybe consider to not have an extra dose and so in a way you give yourself the chance to have some numbing or some relief for a little bit mm-hmm. and then go back to feeling. But yeah, I, I, that's not so common. Like I, once yeah. people take the epidural, they continue to take more and more. But also it's because when the numbing effect or the pain relief effect comes off, your body hasn't had the time to build up the endorphins. That's true. And your body is still doing those intense contractions, perhaps, that it was doing, especially if you've had an induction. Mm-hmm. So it is quite possible that even if yeah, that's true. If one tries to not take another dose, it would still feel really intense for yes. those reasons. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And the point is, like, when I mentioned this is because, you know, like the epidurals can increase the amount of time that you spend in, Pushing in the second stage of labor. Yeah. 
Yeah. And this is exactly what happened to me later on. So this is why in retrospective yeah. I was I was like, what would have I mean having a bit any difference it, I would have refused the third of the four. Because mm, yeah. really like four four doses is the maximum that you can get. Um Okay. But then when coming back to the vert, uh things are now I mean a bit blurry in my hands, so I'm not sure one hundred percent of the sequence of event. <laughs> But I was quite uncomfortable with the lack of movement and the itching and the yeah. baby was still quite high in the bare canal. Mm. And then the midwife started to be a bit concerned about the heartbeat of the baby. So a doctor was called and after some monitoring, she started to, to coach me into pushing. Uh, however, the baby monitor that I was strapped to my belly was not working properly if I was mm. in the position that in the knee, in my, on my knees. Mm. Uh, so I was asked to change position to the classic and all-time favorite doctor's position <laughs> with my back on the bed and oh. the legs wide open. And honestly, I cannot express how much I hate pushing yeah. in that position. Yeah. I think it was a combination of things, the itching, the lack of movements. My oh. hips were so painful from having my legs open so wide. And the doctor voice was just like a general in the army. Push, push, push. Like, my husband doesn't remember much that, but he said that he actually remembers so well how the doctor was coaching me into pushing. And he said that it was such an authority voice that he also felt like pushing himself. Like, were you were you checked to be 10 centimeters already? Yes, but yeah, yeah. I was already by far, like, yeah, probably. Okay more than an hour even though we know that just because someone is 10 centimeters Uh, does not mean that they are ready to push but yes yeah 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 i think the concern was the baby heartbeat yeah that was the understand so i told them several times that i was uncomfortable my husband told them she's uncomfortable and i don't i don't remember now what type of answer uh, they gave to him but of course he accepted whatever they were saying because Mm -hmm. at that moment you just trust that they know better than you um so my records say that i pushed for around two hours uh for me felt even more Mm. and the baby heart was still being erratic which also seems to be apparently a common common mm. problem with the cytotech with this uh, uterine hyperstimulation so I just don't remember exactly what happened but it was just becoming too much for me I was exhausted I was in pain and it was all becoming very 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 overwhelming yes and my mom was there, and I think she just read my face because you know moms know knows everything. She read my face and she said to me, "Cry like if you need to cry, just just let it go oh, now." Wow. And I think this is just exactly what I needed to hear. That I need that permission, and in that moment, I start to cry. Oh wow! But then the look, the doctor looked at me and shouted to me, "Don't cry! Don't cry now!" Hi. And oh I gosh. just completely froze, like immediately. I just stopped crying. Um, probably the doctor was worried about the baby, and she was like, "Okay, we need to make this baby born like now, and there's no time for crying, and she needs to be focused now." 
And I don't know, I believe her intentions were good, but uh, this actually had devastating effect on me. I can imagine. And if she would be a little bit knowledgeable, maybe, I mean, I don't know, not to not to discard her, her knowledge or training, but emotions are so connected to the way we birth. And a cry is a release. And so if you needed to release something to help that baby be born, like maybe that's what you needed, as you said. Yeah, I, I just probably needed a minute. It's not that I was going to cry forever. Probably I just needed in that moment. Um, yeah. So oh. then I, I just don't know after how long and then I just completely lost it. Like I had this feeling that I was completely alone, that I was helpless, that I was under so much suffering and that I couldn't control anything that was happening around me, that things were happening to me. And I was just like a puppet there, like a doll that, um, and I just remember that feeling of, of, of asking and saying aloud, please, please, I need someone to help me because I cannot do this anymore. And even now, after four years of the experience and after having a very nice second birth, I remember how lonely yes. and how helpless I just felt. That just made me like feeling like crying again. Yes. And I never felt like that. It was literally the feeling of I needed to beg. Like I was begging, begging for someone to help me. And it was really, really terrifying. Yes. So I think like in that moment, they realized this woman is really like she's very distressed. And the doctors say, look, like also your contractions are not being effective anymore. Your uterus seems to be like now very tired and it's not contracting properly. Um, we need to do, we need to take out this baby and we are going to try the vacuum. Uh, so I got an episiotomy uh, to, because this is what is required for, for the vacuum. I got local yeah. anesthesia, but it still is such an invasive procedure. It was really horrible. And after a couple of failed attempts, uh, the baby was out. Uh, we didn't know the gender of the baby. So as soon as it was out, everyone was shouting, it is a boy. And <laughs> I remember, you know, my husband was super emotional. He was hyperventilating. He was crying. My mom too. <laughs> and I was just there staring at that baby. And the only thing I was, you know, like the only thing that I was thinking, it was, oh my God, oh my God, thank God this is over. Like yeah. no magic connection, no happiness. No, I, I just even remember looking at the baby like if it was like a, you know, like a, I don't know, like a thing, not even, not even a small person. I was just like, and I, that really, it really hurts me that I was rough from of that moment. Yeah. Um. Mm. So then I delivered the placenta, I got the stitches, and uh, finally went to the bathroom for the shower and I immediately felt like something went really, really bad. And I felt so broken and like, it, like I just came out from a war, like a torture. Um, I don't know how it sounds to you, but sometimes like I was repeating to me the story, story again and again. and. 
I couldn't find like a clear point of when the trauma occurred. You know, it's not that I was about to die or that the baby was about to die or that something extreme happened to me. Uh, it did not, but I still came out traumatized from the birth. Also, the next day I talked with the midwife that she, it was a different midwife, um, not a young one. It was a different midwife that uh, she was with me by the end of the birth. Um, okay. And I remember she said, look, I know it's hard for you, uh, but let me assure you that what you ha- what happened to you was nothing out of the ordinary. At any well, point, you, yeah, at any point, you or your baby were in danger, in danger. So like, you know, like, and I was like, okay. Um, okay. So yeah, I shouldn't, I, I was confused because I was really feeling like completely different. Um, and then, but kind so of so invalidating. Yeah, uh, completely convinced myself that I didn't have a reason to be traumatized. Yeah. yeah, you almost feel like, why am I making a big deal out of this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I hate to be a person that is, <laughs> you know, that uh, that, that makes so unhealthy big deal out of things. Uh, but I think like we have a misconceptions of when trauma occur no like we think that trauma is only associated to really extreme events like war zones or during a rape or when something really really horrible happens but in reality trauma can occur in another circumstances um absolutely i'm going to use like the definition of um one of the experts of birth trauma that um i I was following um jennifer sommerfeld and she was saying, you know, trauma can occur when an individual experiences an event that is perceived, and I think here the key word is perceived. Yeah, absolutely. As horrific and terrifying, which they didn't have any power or control to do yes. anything about it or escape it. Exactly. And it's just a normal response of our nervous system to a threat. It's a fly-fight response. And freeze. And freeze. <laughs> I couldn't fight. I couldn't fly because I was not even allowed to cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just like freeze and just, just the nervous. Association. Yeah. 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 So yeah, my nervous system just reacted with this trauma, trauma response. And I mean, it doesn't matter if the situation is for others doesn't seem to be dramatic it always matters just how you perceived it yeah what you felt yeah and nobody can know what went on inside (laughs) like we can maybe see the you know the outside circumstances but we can't see how you felt and what in that moment felt weird for you and and of course for that midwife it's normal because she sees births every day and unfortunately Maybe you're not the only one who is experiencing that. And that is even more scary and overwhelming and sad to hear that, oh, this is normal. Are you telling me that it's normal for women to leave birth feeling traumatized and (laughs) overwhelmed, you know, broken, as you said, that you had felt? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean... I think like this is one of the first things that uh, Rosalia says. Just like seems like not all, but like seems like oh, some stuff, and they are not trained on what like trauma is and how trauma uh, develops. Um, yeah. 
And so how did this trauma then affect also the feelings you had in your early motherhood and yeah we we i mean i was completely disconnected for a while i don't know i mean you are a bit young so i don't know what you know what is a tamagotchi but when i, I was do young, know what a tamagotchi know. is <laughs> <laughs> well i honestly felt that i was like my baby was a tamagotchi and my my you know my responsibility was not don't kill your tamagotchi <laughs> just feel it you know feed it Every yeah, three, four hours, that. don't kill it. But apart from that, like, I was not yeah. having any connection with my yeah. baby. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of problems with breastfeeding because of the vacuum. Like, my baby have all this tension in in shoulders and head because, of course, the way how he was born. So he was not opening the mouth uh, enough. So I was really, like, I think... If giving birth was the most um, a traumatic experience that I have had, somehow, it, you know, it, it's something that happened to me where breastfeeding, on the other hand, I feel is the hardest thing that I have ever done. Like, yeah. stop. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't, you know, mentally in the, you know, in a good place. I was crying a lot. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think on top of the baby blues, I was mm. kind of cl crying a lot. Uh, but then, you know, as you know, no one else, you know, say you have the right to to feel like that. I just continue living. Um, I think it was only my sister. She's a psychologist, and she was the only one that first mentioned to me you might have a PSTD, like you must have probably post-trauma, you know, experience. And, uh, but then it was just like, you know, I just continued living and I didn't deal with those feelings until I was, found out I was pregnant for the second time in 2021. Uh, and I was so afraid of giving birth again. Uh, I was convinced that this time I wanted a cesarean birth. And part of the reason why I was so afraid is because it had very high chances of having cholestasis again. Mm -hmm. Like, depending on the source that you look at, but the probability of having cholestasis in subsequent pregnancies ranges between 50 to 90%. Okay. Uh, so then I was convinced I'm going to have cholestasis again, and therefore I, I'm going to be induced again early. Yeah. And then the story is going to repeat again. Um, yeah. But then it's like the option of the cesarean birth was also not free of complications because I read, you know, that the, one of the risks uh, for newborns, if they are not full term, they might experience some respiratory complications. And then again, because of the cholesteasis, most likely I was going to be like the baby probably was not going to be uh, full term. Right. They, the guidelines said you need to induce more like week 38 or depends on your bile acids is even week 34. So then you say, okay, I need to decide to look for a doula, uh, mainly because I say I need to do all what is in my hand to improve my chances of a better experience. Mm. Although at this point I was not fully convinced like a doula could help me because like for me, you know, all this cascade of intervention, I, I feel I am a bit of the classic example of the book of cascade of interventions. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, it was like there was when I was 
with those contractions at the very beginning after the cytotic, I if they were so strong that I cannot see how anyone could help me. Like, yeah, I mean, that's often why there is the cascade of interventions, right? Yeah. So I yeah. was like, I don't know if really a doula, if I am going to be induced, I don't know if really a doula is going to be able to do anything. Mm, and now yeah, I understand that, yes, there are many things that they can do to make your life easier. But yeah. at that point, I was like, mm, still, I'm going to get a doula because I don't want to run any risk. Yeah. And yes, my doula was Rosalia from next doulas and you all know that she's amazing uh, she's italian so she connected with my husband and also connected uh, he's also italian and they just connected on how difficult it is uh, to get a proper espresso in finland so that was like <gasps> at least something was there that's yes. really important hey yes yes connecting yes, with yes. partner yes Yes, that he also wasn't very convinced of why we needed a doula as most of the male partners. Um, but he was like, okay, you feel like we need one, we we get one, but he was still, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, so yes, she's amazing. But I think the first time that I realized how amazing she was is when I was telling her my story that I was not allowed to push in another position, that I was feeling like I wanted to push on my knees and that because of the fetal monitor and not working, I had to be in my back. Yeah. And she said to me, you know, yeah, but me, you see, we can try things. We can see different positions to see if the fetal monitor uh, works. And if it doesn't work, if I need to be in my knees holding that monitor to your belly, I will do it. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I just almost cry and hug her and, and because I knew I was in good hands and that she will do, you know, everything uh, to keep me comfortable. Yes. So, yes, I started my pregnancy in a lot of fear. Uh, at least once per month, I was checking my bile acids levels. Uh, usually it's more common in the third trimester to have cholestasis, but I was checking basically yeah. from from month one uh, but luckily they remained actually normal for the rest of the pregnancy mm. uh, I also started therapy and this is the first time I properly started dealing with my previous birth experience I also contact Nice and Clinica for a revision of my case um, and they explained to me in more detail the birth complications, uh, what happened to me, and they apologized for the doctor treatment and acknowledged that that was not acceptable under any circumstances. And that that felt nice. Yeah. I also had alternative therapies like acupuncture with Sari, Judin mm-hmm. uh, Sager, that I think you, she has already been here in the. Yes. podcast, um, bird massage with Sonia, another bird doula from Nest. Yes. Um, and I also read different resources to prepare for my birth. I don't think I read as much as I read for my first, but I think I read different things. And I think thanks to Rosalia, I found birding, birding from within approach. Yes. And it felt really right to me. And I think I love it because it's a knowledge that natural childbirth can not always happen and but it still validates 
and affirms all burden choices and circumstances. I think one of the main cornerstones of the philosophy is learning to let go of these expectations and yeah. practice self-acceptance and self-compassion. Yeah, which is, I think, different a little bit from hypnobirthing, which I find to be a little bit of a downside of hypnobirthing. Exactly, yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too, me too. Because still now, you know, now to hear comments now and then that um, people say, okay, no, but, you know, I have a wonderful experience because uh, I was well prepared because I did hypnobirth. And, you know, somehow this kind of comments affects me because... Even if I know it's not rational and um, that's my problem, but sometimes you know, mm. it feels like if I did, I, it was my fault because I didn't do something, you know, mm. or I wasn't very well prepared, or I didn't read the right resource, or I didn't do the right affirmation, or I, you know, and I don't think you know at the end is fifty percent is you responsible of the bird or like 50 percent is the baby or like, yeah yeah you know let's say there's a lot of preparation you can do but there's yeah. also some parts of it that are just not in our control yes yes and that can be hard to accept yes <laughs> yes yeah so the process you did with rosalia that was also sort of healing in a way or helpful in preparing for the second absolutely I think I uh yeah I was I was still I will not say that it cured my fear 100 percent uh because I think it was still there but I think yeah. I felt more like more more prepared and yeah. more looking forward instead of yeah wanted to run yeah. away from it yeah so yeah so then I started to have constructions since I was week 39 mm -hmm. uh, some of them they were quite strong like stronger than pains but actually they were never started on its own um, so I made an appointment at Jorvi Hospital when I was uh, 40 weeks and 5 days so that's the limit here in Finland and uh I was a bit nervous still that I will get induced. So was it I was 40 also, or 41? 41. 41, yeah. Okay. For one, five days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I was there quite nervous still that I will be induced. But this time I was quite like firm and say like, I'm not going to agree on an induction if my body is not ready. Um. So remember having my notes and I was going to calculate my own bishop score. <laughs> and I told my yeah. husband how to do it. Um, but then the, the doctor checked me and I was already three centimeters dilated and I have no cervix. And the doctor said, you are just more than ready. Probably you will have start labor on your own in two days or less. Uh, say, well, we are just going to break the membranes. And uh, and yeah, I, I agree to that. Um, and I think less than 10 minutes later, after they broke my membranes, I started with contractions. And two hours, 45 minutes later, my daughter was born. <laughs> we, 
four kilos, 170 grams. So oh, right wow. Big baby. Yeah, he felt, he felt like that when I was pushing. Um, but, you know, everyone say, oh, it's nice that you have a fast labor. Fast labors are not a joke. I mean, no, I, they are intense. very, very, very <laughs> intense. As you said earlier, you maybe had more pain in this one than... In yes, the first one. I don't think I will ever forget, you know, the pain. And, and I remember at some point saying, what am I doing here? Like, no, I cannot do this. And I remember like Rosalia was telling me, remember what what I told you about the transition? Uh, because, you know, like apparently this uh, transition, you know, that yes. when you are, it's like when you're starting to doubt yourself and saying, yes. this, no, no, this is not happening. I'm not doing this. And I was like, this is not possible. I just start pushing. What, what is Rosalia saying? No, no, no. no. How can it be so soon? Yes, exactly. Um, uh, but I say, you know, like, even like if this was way more painful than the previous birth, uh, it was not traumatic. I wasn't suffering. I think the best part of my birth was feeling the love of a support of my husband. I think that's just amazing. Uh, uh, Rosalia was amazing to help me to cope with the pain, with the tense machine and the hip compressions and affirmation. And I think she was she was the brain and my husband was the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it was a perfect combination. Did you feel like you have more you had more autonomy and choice and freedom of movement here and yes. control and Yes. Yeah. Yes. And my least favorite part of the bird was actually the bird pool. Mm. The water was so cold and the top didn't have handles and I was uncomfortable and I remember feeling so annoyed at things. I think all the public, all the public pools are always cold. Why my bear pool had to be cold too? <laughs> but you know, I was in a you state know the of temperature. Mind. I don't know the temperature. I know that, but you know, like later on talking with other people, I was not the only one complaining. It seems like, yeah, they don't seem to like. I mean, they have reasons. I think it needs to be certain temperature. <laughs> But I am Mexican. I like, you know, to swim in hot soup. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it was so annoying. But it, I was in that point that I couldn't, you know, articulate any word to complain or, you know, I couldn't even move in that point. Like, so I just, okay, this is what it is. Yeah. Um, and as you could understand, due to my previous experience, I didn't want to have any epidural, but also I was... I didn't want to be, you know, suffering or like in, in intense pain. So uh, I say yes to the gas, yeah. uh, which I absolutely love. Like many mm. people don't like the, the gas because they say that they feel disconnected from giving birth. And I, I absolutely love to feel disconnected. I like it to be high uh, because it was so intense. Like yeah. I didn't have time to like really to get you to what is happening. It was yeah. so intense that I welcome so much that minute <laughs> or two of not being present. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it was such a fast labor. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from the moment that I, you know, I totally bond with my daughter from from the first moment, uh, 
course, after recovering from the intensity of the bird, um, uh, I felt amazing. I think I, I felt like amazing for 24 hours. Uh, I think I was still under the effect of the hormones. Um, I remember like, I think I'm going downstairs for pizza. I'm going to yeah. take my baby downstairs for pizza. Um, nice. Then after after 24 hours, I was, you know, everything was aching. Like I was having pain in places that I didn't know why it was aching. But yeah, for the first 24 hours, I was feeling just really amazing. Um, mm. I didn't even mind that much that my husband couldn't stay with us in the hospital during the night. That was like still pandemia times and mm-hmm. there were no family rooms so he was sent home but I mean like I was already more or less like have some experience with babies so so I really didn't much didn't mind that much yeah um and yeah it was it was such an empowering experience I mean as, as I say it didn't make me forget the previous trauma I think that that is still there and I still need to work on it but yes. it, it did help me to heal a bit yes you felt like it could be different or you saw that it could be different. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You had the chance to feel that strength and the autonomy and the capability that you had in your body to to birth. And maybe yeah. even, you know, in a way it shows you that it wasn't you, like that nothing is wrong with you per se. <laughs> Sometimes we yeah, have a yeah. tendency to blame ourselves. So, you know, it's not me, it's, it's also the system and the way things are working and the lack of support that is maybe given when it needs to be given, like somebody to just hold the monitor Mm. (laughs) in the position to help you be in the way you want to be. Mm. You know, we're prioritizing the machinery over the women. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Anything else to? No, I think like uh, I think this is cool. What? Uh, yeah. In that. I think your story is so important to inspire women who have maybe had a more challenging experience, um, you know, in the first time, and and want to feel supported and seen and loved and powerful after that, and to know that it's it's possible. <laughs> Um, yeah and I think like it's also really sometimes probably many women they don't even know that they are traumatized because they are being told mm-hmm. the same you know like but nothing really bad happened like yeah mm-hmm. yeah these are not helpful sentences mm-hmm. and to, to understand trauma means to understand that it's so individual in the eyes yes. of, the, of the person and it's what you perceive it to be. It doesn't matter if to someone else it doesn't look difficult or traumatic. To you, it felt traumatic. And that's what matters. And also just to remember, as I said earlier, that like these people who are working in those air er- in that field see this kind of thing every day. So they're almost desensitized to it and almost not really understanding that for you, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience or twice-in-a-lifetime experience. And yeah. it's not something you do every day like them. So it really deserves that acknowledgement. I feel like, you know, we are 
I think still is very outcome oriented. Like the doctors are like focused on keeping the baby and you alive. Yeah. There's that's their job. Um, yeah. And there is a, probably not much understanding of the journey and the process. Like, uh, as you know, as you can imagine, I was doing all this research after, for inductions after um, between my first and my second. Like I found this systematic review of all. Uh, induction methods and I was comparing them and they were comparing on so many outcomes and any any none of the outcomes was satisfaction satisfaction yeah yeah this is what I was looking it's not measured it's not measured it's not measured it was measured like rate of cesarean uh, of instrumental delivery of hyperstimulation but not like any yeah this is a very interesting point <laughs> yeah and in the end i mean i was gonna say because those things are costing money and are can be, can be measured with money but even though the well-being and and satisfaction of women is also measured with money i mean mm. trauma and psychological um pain are also costing money to the system mm. maybe yeah. in a way that's harder to measure but but that's also important, not just because of money, but it's important for other reasons too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, I just want to thank you for coming here and sharing your story and wanting thank to you. show. Yeah. Thank you. I think this is yeah. also part of me, of my healing, I think, uh, yeah. talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. You are very brave for wanting to share and thank you for your vulnerability and um yeah for showing that that journey and that angle as well yeah thank you thank you for giving me the space to do so yeah okay all right so thanks for being here today to listen to this week's uh, episode and um we'll be back soon (laughs) take care maria thank you take care Hey, thank you for listening to this episode and welcome back next week. Just before you go, I want to ask you a question. Do you want postpartum support from people around you but struggle with asking for help? Do you feel awkward to have this kind of conversation? Are you not really sure what to say? I've got you covered and I've created just the guide for you. It's a word-for-word script that will help you feel confident to have this hard conversation. You will also receive the three crucial elements for a request for help, which will turn it from a nice idea into a reality. Until now, this script has been used only by my clients, and this will be the first time that it is offered for free. It's your chance to receive a great tool which has guided many of my clients in overcoming their fear of asking for help and allowed them to build their village. Do you want the guide that will help you build yours? You can download it now by visiting motherstransition.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Birthing in Finland podcast. To get the show notes for this episode, go to doulacollective.fi forward slash birthing in Finland. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and share this with someone who you think needs to hear it. A friend, a colleague, a neighbor, 
Help us get the word out so that more families can start enjoying these conversations. See you next time when I introduce you to another amazing person supporting families just like yours. Thank you.